First to new landmark insights into our ancient continent via two pieces of incredible Australian research released this week, which deepen our knowledge of the animals that once roamed Australia and which totally upend our understanding of mammal evolution. For almost 200 years, it's been believed that the placental mammals and related marsupials originated in the Northern Hemisphere. But a new study shows they may have come from the Southern Hemisphere and pushed into the North. Professor Tim Flannery, who was involved in the research, will explain more and why it might take some time to be fully accepted. Now, separate to this discovery, a Queensland team has documented for the first time a little-known species of giant wombat that roamed the plains and forests of Australia about 80,000 years ago. And I'm pleased to welcome Dr Gilbert Price. He's a paleontologist who's part of that team and who excavated and studied the remains. Hello. And uh, welcome to you, Tim Flannery. Uh, Look, I know we're talking about two very different periods of evolution, but maybe, Tim Flannery, you could tell us what your team has found that has made you more excited than you've been for many years, by the sound of things. (laughs) That's right, Geraldine, it has. Look, what we've found is that the modern mammals, so the placental mammals like ourselves and elephants and dogs and cats and all the rest, along with the marsupials, seem to have originated in the southern hemisphere around about 100 180 million years ago. And the reason we came to that or that understanding is that the molar teeth of these mammals are very, very specialised and very distinctive. They're quite complex and they can do three jobs at once. They can puncture, shear and crush all at the same time. So, and we've found those molar teeth uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, in um, South America, in Australia, in um, India and Madagascar. Uh, at around, or well, the oldest ones are 180 million years old, which is 50 million years before anything like that appears in the Northern Hemisphere. And whereas we were pretty sure uh, that it was the other way around, is that right? That's right, because m- most of them, the world's mammals live in the Northern Hemisphere today. Um, and, and the fossil record is very abundant in the Northern Hemisphere. There's probably 10,000 fossils from the age of dinosaurs in the Northern Hemisphere, of mammals, that is, um, relative to the Southern Hemisphere. So we're, we're just beginning to discover the story in the Southern Hemisphere, but it really is starting to turn our understanding of mammal evolution on its head. And the teeth that you studied to come to these conclusions, what sort of creature did they come from? They were from a, a, a rat-sized animal, so something that probably weighed 100-odd grams, uh, and they were probably insect eaters. The oldest of them are very primitive in many ways. They've kind of got a number of reptilian features in the jawbone still, um, but the ones that date from about 126 million years ago from Australia are very much like the kind of ancestral modern mammals that we find in the fossil record in Asia at the same time. So you, is your thesis that all of these connect lands of Gondwana, basically, and then the animals came from this part of the world and when then when, when Gondwana split, they moved. Is, is that, have I got it right? Uh, that's pretty much it, Geraldine. Um, the story as we, we, we see it at the moment is that, you know, Gondwana, 180 million years ago, was the largest land mass on earth. But Gondwana slowly broke up and about 126 million years ago, um, there was uh, Australia had these quite advanced modern mammals, and 
It was situated just across the sea from China, which was to the north, but there appear to have been a series of volcanic archipelagos and land masses that emerged that are now sunk under the Indian Ocean. These are great lava plateaus uh, that might have acted as stepping stones for, for a lot of different kinds of animals to get from Australia into Asia. Interesting. Now, Gilbert, your team is at a very different end of the timing perspective. Um, 80,000 years ago, I think, is really when you've been looking at um, this giant wombat called Rumsaya Magna, whose skull was found in central Queensland in the early 2000s. Now, why does this matter to know about? Yeah, well, thank you uh, for asking. It's something that's super fascinating to myself and my research team. And I think um, most people in Australia would recognise wombats as some of the sort of cute and cuddly, kind of really iconic members of our really unique marsupial um, faunas that we have. And we've, we've only got about three species of wombat left today. But if you go back in time, as as um, far back as sort of 50 to 80,000 years ago, we see a whole new miragony of uh, wombats that used to exist, including some supersized ones. And that was the focus of our of our study, looking at this giant beast called uh, Ramsay, a really mysterious wombat. And uh, we're super lucky to come across a skull in a cave of all places um, recently, and we were able to publish that and uh, do our analysis on it. What do you think it would have looked like? Well, that's a great question. One of the things that we can tell you probably wasn't doing was burrowing. So all of the wombats that we have around today, they can burrow up to depths of sort of one or two metres or so. Uh, but this particular wombat was massive. It got up to around about maybe 130 or more kilograms. My so goodness. that's a, yeah, it's about three or four times bigger than the wombats that we have. Um, and it just was not built for burrowing at all. It, it's We've only got half of a skull and half of a mandible at the moment, but it lacks all those the kind of features that you would expect to find in a burrowing uh, type of organism like a wombat. So if you had a look at the skull of a modern wombat, just as, as an example, have a very flat um, sort of shovel-like head, and that's used for sort of digging out the burrows and brushing away the sediment, that sort of thing. Whereas this uh, particular wombat that we've we've come across, Ramsayer, had a skull that was like a, a dome, and it's just, it just has none of those kind of features that, that would be useful for clearing that sediment. So that's why we suggest it was just too big and just wasn't built right for burrowing. Was it very, in an evolutionary sense, was it designed for survival or not? We don't know. We, we don't know what's going on with it. It's, it's certainly an animal that's extinct today, obviously, but it's part of this branch of the wombat family tree where we, we sort of tend towards those groups that are sort of medium body size for wombats, and that's the, the, the wombats that we have around today, and these are all semi-burrowing things. And then we have another branch that goes off on the other side, and all of these tended towards gigantism. So Ramsay was probably the second biggest at about 130 kilograms. We had another one that was close to about 200, and it just happens to be about those those big things. Like they, they may have been um, really well adapted to the environment at one particular point, but they may have been too too well adapted at some point when conditions changed and they, they were susceptible and maybe that's what drove them extinct. There's quite a bit of debate, isn't there, around these extinction issues of, uh, of species like Ramsaya? Yeah, that's right. And this whole idea about these animals, we, we colloquially refer to them as the megafauna. Um, it's been one of the longest running debates in not only Australian science, but global science since the very first bones of these things were found um, eroding out of ancient fossil deposits. Um, you know, the question about what drove them extinct. On, we know that there were some massive climatic changes going on through time that coincided with the extinctions, but we also know that some of the first humans were coming into these new environments at the same time. And it's it's sort of that dichotomous thing, like, mm. you know, was it more humans? Was it more climate? Could it be something else altogether? So it's it's a debate that, that needs data and it needs new research about the animals. So we've only got a small piece of the puzzle to add for this particular thing, but it's a really important piece of that puzzle. How interesting. What's, what's your latest thinking, Tim, on this scholarship? 
Oh, look, I think it's fantastic. We've known very little about this wombat called Ramsaya until this skull uh, turned up. I read Gilbert's paper with enormous interest when it came out, and I think it's a it's a great contribution. It tells us it's, it's another brick in the wall of understanding wombat evolution and a very important one. And what about the whole question of the debate, though, which um, obviously has to keep going about megafauna? Well, it does. Well, exactly. Well, we're still, you know, each building block that we add to our understanding is very important in terms of understanding what happened to the megafauna. You know, if we know more about Ramsaya, we may be able to understand why it was vulnerable to extinction and what particular factors might have made it vulnerable. So if it wasn't a burrowing animal, then perhaps it was more vulnerable to hunting by people or perhaps it was more vulnerable to extreme changes in temperature. I did say in the intro that your studies, these studies about the um, the southern hemisphere effectively being the source of a lot of this placental development, you say it might not be accepted straight away <laughs> by people in the northern hemisphere. What are you getting at there? Well, look, the, the orthodoxy that, that the modern mammals arose in the northern hemisphere has been around for 200 years. And people have been excavating sites and trying to raise funds for them, um, you know, for for about that long. And um, if all of a sudden you think, oh, God, actually a big part of the story is in the southern hemisphere, then it makes, you know, the work in the northern hemisphere a little bit less relevant. And that's all very challenging. So it will take time to work through. But look, I'm confident looking at our, our data that we've put a, a very strong case that this group of organisms originated in the Southern Hemisphere, migrated to the North, and then the Southern species became extinct as more advanced Northern forms reinvaded later in time after the age of the dinosaurs. Oh, I see. So there's a twin, there's another aspect of that. The Northerners became more adept and... and um, That's right. I uh, see. Yeah, so, so we don't know anything about the reproduction of these ancient, the earliest members of the modern mammals. For all we know, they may have laid eggs. We, we just don't know. We've only got jaw bones. So um, something happened in the Northern Hemisphere um, after the extinction of the dinosaurs that gave rise to this tremendous radiation of, of modern mammals, everything from you know humans to elephants and all the rest. Mm. And once they invaded the southern continents, which had split up, um, uh, they may have caused the extinction of these um, these initial kinds of modern mammals or earlier kinds of modern mammals. Um, would it be fair to say that what we discovered about birdsong, which was, I think, earlier this century, um, upended a lot of established views about um, the nature of avian development and so on? Is this, and you know, that so much originated yeah. down here in Australia, is it similar to that? That's very perceptive, Geraldine. It's it's very much the same story, but earlier in time. See, the, the bird song story is that the, you know, the songbirds came out of Australia sometime shortly after the extinction of the dinosaurs, so 60-odd million years ago. Um, so we're, we're, we're arguing a similar sort of case for the mammals, but it's much earlier in time. So we think that the modern mammals arose about 180 million years ago, and that's substantiated by genetic studies, and that they got into the northern hemisphere by about 126 million million years ago. And again, the fossil record backs that up pretty well. Gilbert, would you say then, there, there you are doing all your research, um, are we more or less diverse biologically than we were at that time of megafauna? You know, there's a great discussion, as you know, about whether Australia's might be the home of so many uh, species, but we're also losing them at a greater rate. So how do you see it? 
Yeah, well, there's a mega mystery that's going on that can only be answered with the fossil record. And one of the things I think about a lot, and Tim's kind of uh, touched on some of those old ideas there um, in his own study, but we seem to know a lot more about um, the rest of the planet than what we do in Australia. Like, I often think about Australian uh, understanding of the fossil record here being basically where, say, North America or, or Western Europe was maybe back in the 1850s or thereabouts. And, um, you know, the more time, though, that we spend out in the field, the more time that we work with local landowners, um, you know, the people on the ground finding these things and collaborating with universities, collaborating with museums, the, the more we're going to be able to piece together the story of our, of our ancient continent. And I can't wait to see what the future is going to hold. And um, I'm sure that we've got a lot of things to discover yet. And that will tell us lots of things about diversity and climate change and extinctions and mm. evolution, all that sort of wonderful stuff. What are you specifically working on now, now that you've made this big discovery of the giant wombat? My big focus is trying to understand causes of extinctions of these Ice Age animals. So it's it's part of like, you know, we've managed to make some really ma major strides now through our work on this giant wombat, but we need to be able to place it into the ecosystems that it existed in too, because, you know, if you want to understand extinction, you just don't look at one species, you look at everything, you look at everything in the environment. So that might be other organisms that didn't go extinct. So, you know, people don't realise what things like our modern koala and modern bandicoots, um, they also have a fossil record as well. So understanding how these kind of organisms didn't go extinct is just as important as understanding why the big things go extinct. But it's it's really about putting together the um, the picture that's on the front of a jigsaw box with all these little fossil records that we have around. The only problem is we don't have the picture on the box, so we don't know exactly what it looks like, but mm. more of this work is, is going to be fundamental. Just finally, Tim, I mean, is it is it money that's required? I mean, this is really quite thrilling what you're both talking about and the thought yeah. that they're spending more in the in the Northern Hemisphere and they haven't got as much to talk about is a bit galling. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is. But could I just say this, this information's hard won. You know, uh, Dr Tom Rich dug for 23 years, right. so searching for these mammals from the age of dinosaurs, not even knowing whether they existed in Australia. So that takes a particular mindset to do that before he found his first one. And since then, you know, he'll be moving tens of tonnes of rocks for every single fragment we get. So um, it's just, it's a tribute to these really outstanding people who've devoted their life really to, to, to helping unpack this puzzle. Um, and, and that's what we need. We need more people with that level of dedication because, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, there's 10,000 mammal fossils from the age of dinosaurs for every one we have from the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. It's just hard to work here. Thank you, gentlemen. That was really terrific to hear. Professor Tim Flannery and uh, Dr Gilbert Price, thank you. No, thanks, Geraldine. Thank you. Thanks, Geraldine. And uh, Tim Flannery is part of a collaborative team of colleagues from the Australian Museum, Museums Victoria, Monash University and the Smithsonian Institution that put together that work. Gilbert Price, Senior Lecturer in Paleontology at the University of Queensland. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.